0: All right, well, Shabbat Shalom, guys, again. Isn't it great to worship out here in the woods? It's wonderful, yeah. Unless you're in the dusty section with all the dancing, and you're like, ah, I got dust all in my nostrils. Um, Well, uh, this is the final Torah portion of 54 Torah portions that we're on. And uh, it's kind of a bittersweet thing, because we're wrapping up the Torah. Literally, we're going to wrap up the Torah here in a couple nights. And re-roll it back to Genesis 1. And uh, we've kind of come a long way, haven't we? Um, through the Torah, we've, we've traveled through, we've kind of embodied this, this journey of the people of Israel. And I kept going back to uh, where Paul says that all of this happened, all of this was shown to us and preserved for us for a lesson and a warning, right? And an example for you who are living in the last days. And I think most of us in this outdoor space here, I can't say room, but most of us would agree to some extent we're living in the last days. And so it's even more important to study the example of the Israelites going through the wilderness, being tempted, um, failing in that temptation, or sometimes even being obedient and being faithful and saying everything we see and everything we hear, we will do. Things like that. You know, there's amazing lessons here. Learning about Moses and his sacrificial love for these people, right? And he gave, literally gave his life for these people when he had nothing to gain out of it. And I think that's a beautiful picture. And Aaron, who was the younger brother, right? Younger brother? Who um, dedicated his life to bringing other people closer to the God of heaven. The The older brother, yeah. Thank you. Just seeing if you're paying attention. And, you know, it's like all these amazing stories woven into the Torah. And you think about it, we've been doing the Torah, we've been studying the Torah, for me and my life, probably about 12 years now. And some of you may be longer, some of you probably less. But think about this, the people of the book, preserved by the Jewish nation, have been, have been studying, preserving, rewriting copying, living out the the words of the Torah for over 30 centuries. Think about that. 30 centuries. I can't even fathom a whole century, you know? It's rare that someone gets to live even one century. But for 30 centuries they've been living this day in and day out. People trying to snuff them out. People trying to eradicate them as a race. And you know what they do? Let's just keep on driving on. Like Let's keep going with this. Let's be faithful. It's what holds us together as a people. Let's have faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he will one day replant us in our land. And he will one day regather the exiles of our people and reestablish the throne of David. Let's hold on to that promise that was given to us. 30 centuries they've been doing this. It's so amazing to me and such a blessing to be able to bring a table, I keep saying it, bring a chair up to that table at which we've been invited. It's amazing. It's a very humbling experience. And sadly, what often happens is we do the exact thing that Paul warns us not to do, and that is to boast against the root. So can you imagine walking into the home of a family, and them inviting you over to this elaborate dinner where they've been doing it for years and years and years. And you pull up your chair and you sit down and you look at the beautiful food and the silverware and the dishes and all this. And the first words out of your mouth are, you're doing it wrong. I know better than you do. I took an online course in Hebrew, right? I watched a few YouTube videos and you got it wrong, right? I want to be really cautious to not do that, right? I want to be very careful to not boast against the root. Am I saying that all of the Judaisms out there have it exactly 100% correct? Absolutely not. But just be careful we don't boast against the root. 30 centuries is a long time. So approach that table humbly and, and approach it recognizing the deep-rooted traditions that they've been, they've been doing and, and holding them together as a nation for 30, 30 centuries And one of those traditions is to go through the Torah portions every year. And we're able to jump into that and tap into that. And the last Torah portion of this year is Parsha 54, and it's entitled Vizot HaBracha, Vizot HaBracha, which means, and this is the bracha, this is the blessing that Moses put over the people of Israel. And Moses is basically at the end of his life, and he sees that. He's already been told by God, You will not be going into the land that I promised you or the people of Israel. You'll be hanging back because you committed some sins. He actually commits six major sins. We think, oh, he just hit the rock one time and then God's, I mean, that's kind of harsh of God to not let him go into the the land of Israel. But he actually commits six grievous sins, which have been enumerated if you really study the Torah and go through. You can enumerate those sins of Moses. And we actually spent time here one Shabbat on a Sukkot, I think maybe two years back. I went through and talked about the six sins of Moses. But I'm not going to do that today. But you can go back and reference that. But basically, this Torah portion is Moses' last dying wish for his people. And he's like, guys, here's what I hope for you before I go and I die. Here's what I hope you achieve. And this is the blessing and I want to bestow upon you. Like You've been like children to me. You've been hard-headed, right? You've been stiff-necked. You've been a struggle to bring all this way. But we're right on the cusp of the promise. And I believe in you. You can go through this. You can make it to the promise. And so he goes through and he's giving each of the tribes these really cryptic blessings, these really odd sounding blessings. And many of them are probably prophetic in nature, meaning talking about something that is to come in the future. And, you know, probably under the utterance of the Holy Spirit, is Moses giving these oracles over the 12 tribes of Israel. And I always like to throw this quiz out there. There's one of the tribes that is is left off of this blessing. But we get to uh, chapter 34 and in Deuteronomy chapter 34 if you want to look there what is the very last word of the Torah? What is the last word of our Torah? Yeah, Yisrael. Yeah, and we'll see that Monday night. I'll show it to you in the scroll. It's the last word of the fir- the first five books of the Bible. Israel. All right. Now flip over to Genesis one one. Genesis one one. What is the first word of the Torah? Bereshit. Bereshit. Bereshit in Hebrew, right? In the beginning. Bereshit, which is in the reshit, in the to where we get rosh from, head. The beginning. In the Reshit, right? Bereshit. So the first letter of the Torah is a bait. The last letter of the Torah is a Lamed. Yisrael, the Lamed, okay? Put them together. They spell the word Lev, which is your heart, right? And you all know this. You know this about the Torah. That the first letter and the last letter of the Torah form the word Lev. Lev means heart. That's where we get the word for uh, what well, the word for dog is kalev. Kalev is all heart, all heart, right? You know, like a dog is just so loyal, right? And they're just, they're so passionate about you as their owner, right? And there's hardly any other animal that is like that in the animal kingdom. That's all heart, right? But that's the idea, a heart. It's, some, it's something you're attached to, right? Well, God's Torah is more correctly translated as instruction, teaching, right? There are some elements of law. Do this, don't do this. But overall, it's like these deep moral lessons that span the course of, of, you know, the creation of the universe to right as they're about to enter the promised land. Okay? Now, I've got something, um, where did it go? There it is. Now, if you know anything about me... I, um, I'm not good with details and uh, you know sometimes I, I got to do a little project around the house you know and something like hanging a, hanging a ceiling fan how many of you ever hung a ceiling fan before now it's really frustrating because every ceiling fan is different every manufacturer makes a ceiling fan just a little bit different and so you know you hang a ceiling fan once every what five years or so would you say and so you just enough time for you to completely forget what it's like to hang a ceiling fan, and how much upper body strength it's gonna require for you to hang a ceiling fan. Or put together a piece of furniture, right? You go to Ikea, how many of you have been to Ikea, right? It's like a trap, right? You feel like it's never gonna end, and and then they make you eat their weird meatballs at the end of it, and they just like make you spend all their money. Um, It's like a maze you walk through, okay? For those who've never been to Ikea, there's no getting out of that place, all right? Once you're there, you're committed, you gotta make it through the whole thing, and they, they end you up in the cafeteria with a bunch of weird Swedish food. But one of the things they're renowned for are their, their um, pieces of furniture. It's do it yourself, okay? You even go to the warehouse in the store and you pick out the box in the warehouse and you, they even, like, they, they trick you into becoming a warehouse man. Like, okay, you're gonna pay to do our work for us. And then you're gonna pay to assemble our furniture for us. And it's like, wow, that's so, so it's like, I don't know, it's just a trick, you know? And, and it, it really throws me off. But I do it sometimes. And, and I bought Stacey a bed from Ikea one time. And I got it home, and I was like, wow, I have to assemble literally every single piece of this furniture. I have to assemble as if I know what I'm doing. But their instructions are renowned for being kind of simple, for simpletons like me. They have a lot of these wonderful things called pictures and they're very like straightforward pictures on IKEA directions, okay? But um, you know, sometimes even with all these pictures like here, um I have <laughs> Oh, that's the other thing IKEA does is you can't pronounce the things that they sell you. It's like I'm telling you guys, it's like this big psychological thing. They make you feel like a horrible person by the end of this experience and you've spent all your money and you're like what is this? A vidga? I don't know what a vidga is, right? It's like there's too many consonants in these in these things. But this Um, has been voted the hardest piece of Ikea furniture to assemble, okay? I don't know if that's on Reddit or what. Where did that come from? Google. Google. Okay, Google told us that. Okay. And um, Adrian so kindly printed out the directions for me. So pretend in this box there's a vidga, all right? And uh, I don't know what vidga means in Swedish. It probably means foolish Americans. I don't know. But um, anyways, the hardest piece of furniture. So... You know, it never fails that I get this piece of furniture or the ceiling fan. And I sit down, you know, and I'm like, I'm going through the box. I'm just rifling through the box, right? I'm like, okay, where is the piece? You know, and I'm like ripping off shrink wrap. And I'm like throwing pieces out here. I'm throwing pieces out there. And I'm like, I probably don't need that piece. It looks like it's unnecessary, right? And I'm like, oh, this doesn't look like anything. I'm just going to throw it out there. And then, you know, it's always, it never fails that they send me these weird tools, right? And I'm looking at these tools and I'm like, oh, I got better tools than these, you know, I've got higher quality tools and I don't need that one, you know. And, and I'm going through and I take the directions and throw them off and I'm like, just, okay, I got this. I think I can wing this and get it, right? Right? And then I, I put the ceiling fan up or I get the piece of furniture up there and, and I'm, I promise you guys, no lie. The last ceiling fan I installed in Noah's bedroom, we turned the switch on and there was this noise. Yeah and this was just like last month, there was this noise and it was like a grinding noise. And Stacy's sitting there and I'm looking at it and the first words out of my mouth were like, it'll probably go away. (laughs) I'm like, you know, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, you know, this is friction. This is caused by friction. Eventually, you just give it enough rotations, whatever two pieces of metal are rubbing together, they will have ground themselves down enough to where they stop making the noise. Right? That's my rationale. What do you think Stacy's rationale is? It's going to fall. It's it's probably going to set our house on fire, right? We're all going to die. No, she immediately thinks, "Well, did you read the directions?" And then me as a man, right? I'm like, "Babe, listen. I don't need no directions, right?" But I'm like, "Look, there's no way. I'm taking that light kit off. I'm taking all the, the light bulbs off. I'm going to drop that 25-pound motor, look at the wiring kit, try to figure out what's making that noise. Noah will just sleep through it, all right? Who cares? It's white noise, yeah. The metal grinding on metal. It's beautiful, right? So um, I walk out of the room. I'm just like, well, I, tell, I tell Stacy something along these lines. These are the words that I tell Stacy. If you want to open those directions and hassle with it, Knock yourself out. I'm going to get something to eat. How did it feel? How long do you think it, it took her to find the, the noise? About, two minutes. Two minutes. about about five minutes. She had the noise gone. Yeah. What was it? It was a it was a, a piece of wire with a wire nut hanging out, and it was it was rubbing on the uh, the little thing turning there. Wow. But it, go it, yeah, good job, Miss Stacy. But sometimes um, you, you, uh, you get a set of, of instructions, right? And all the men can relate to this. You get these instructions and immediately you go cross-eyed with these instructions, right? And you're like, there's five different languages. Why do I need Hindi on my directions? Like why is there really a chance that I bought this, you know, and I, and I need to read it in like Yugoslavian or something, right? That's very unlikely. And I, that's what my brain goes to. I'm like looking at this. I'm looking at the pictures. And there's like weird stick people on there. And they're shocking themselves. And like that's what I'm looking at. I'm obsessed with that. I'm like who wrote. Who had to draw these stick people you know. And some guy was sitting in a cubicle. Probably getting paid gobs of money. To draw stick people. You know and like 10 minutes goes by. And I'm like oh, I can't do that you know. I'm just going to put this together, but really what I need to do sometimes is I need to take my directions, and I need to sit down with a cup of coffee on the couch, and you just like stop, like like eliminate all other stimuli, have a cup of coffee, and sit there, and I need to take my finger, and I need to follow word for word, and I need to read the entire thing, okay? And then you go, okay, step one, I need to, I need to read everything word for word before I even pick up a tool and put it to the, to the whatever I'm building, right? That's really what I should do. Except me, in my pride, I think I got it. I don't need these. And I just fail miserably usually. Well, God gave us His Torah. His Torah is this instruction manual, right? Now, what does the presence of these instructions mean? What is the, the Swedish guy who sat down and thought it best to send Americans these instructions? What does that mean for us? Number one, that the creator of this Vidga wants us to be successful in assembling the Vidga. Okay? Number two, the creator knows the Vidga better than I know the Vidga. Okay? He, he, the Vidga designed it. He knows it better than I do. Number three, the creator of the Vidga wants us to succeed at the task. He's not going to make it so hard for us that we just fail. Right? That would be messed up of the Vidga guy to do that. He's going to be like, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll throw some curveballs in there for for the Americans a little bit, but I'm going to make it where they can put it together, right? They'll feel good about themselves at the end of it. No, I don't know if he did that. And also, the creator of the Vidga, he gives us, he gives us all the tools we need, alright? So, the Vidga knows, the creator of the Vidga knows the Vidga, and he knows, hey, you're going to need these tools. They might not be the best quality tools, alright? That's okay. But they'll get the job done, alright? Don't you, in your arrogance, think that you have better tools? You're going to spend 30 minutes looking for this one Allen wrench right here, I promise. Alright? right. Just use our little tool, our little Vidga tool, you'll be fine, okay? And, of course, if the creator of the Vidga gave us instructions for his Vidga, then that means the task of constructing the Vidga is a complex task, okay? In other words, we gotta be careful. We could get it very wrong. And then lastly, if the Vidga comes with instructions, it just because we master putting a Vidga together, if we put a hundred Vidgas together and we think we know it to a T, does that mean we just can ball these up and never look at them ever again? No. We have to hold on to the instructions. We have to hold on to them. Because we are prone to To making mistakes. Now we might not refer to them every time. We might have them committed to our memory. But you better believe. I'm going to keep them in a filing cabinet somewhere. If I have to move to a new house. And I have to disassemble my Vidka. And reassemble it at my new house. I fortunately have these somewhere right. Where they are I don't know. (laughs) Stacy probably put them in a file somewhere. But the Torah is His instructions. The Creator gave us instructions, gave us instructions for, the, for the, how the universe is to be held together and how we are to relate to fellow human beings and how we are to relate to Him. That means that God cares, right? He wants us to have instructions. He wants us to be happy and to be fulfilled. And it means that the Creator knows better than we do. The Creator knows His creation better than we know His creation. The Creator wants us to succeed at fulfilling His instructions. All right? There's this false notion that God gave a law to Israel that was so hard, and He gave it to them knowing that they would fail, and that He would have to provide sacrifice to atone for their sin at failing at the Torah. That's bogus. That's so wrong. That's really messed up of God if he did that, right? No. He says in the book of Deuteronomy, don't think that this is too far from you. It's close to you. It's on your mouth. It's in your heart, right? Don't think that you have to cross land and sea in order to achieve this, right? So the Creator knows that we can complete the task. The Creator gives us the right tools to complete the task as well. And it means that the Creator, God, knows that the task he sets before us is a complex one. In other words, he knows that we're going to come across some kind of difficult obstacles, some really intense temptation, let's say. Or we might encounter and brush up against some real dark evil in our world. And then the creator, God, knows that just because we master, quote unquote, doing life, We never get rid of His Word, His instructions. We study them day and night. We rehearse them. We memorize them. Why? Because if we don't, the tempter will come along and say, hey, did God really say that? Right? He will begin to erode the fabric of His Word. And if we don't have it and constantly refer back to it and hide it in our hearts, we will sin against Him. So the Torah is the Lev, right? The heart of God. Let me ask this though. does having a copy of his instructions does it make us immune to attacks from the enemy? So since you have begin to begun to study the Torah and begun to study the Bible, have you have you gotten less attacks from the enemy? Have you gotten more attacks from the enemy? Does it make us immune from our own foolishness? No. No. Like there's this false notion that like the more I study those instructions eventually I'll just, I'll be able to do it perfectly every time. That's false. You always need to refer to the instructions. Does having a copy of instructions make us exempt from sin. Does it make us immune to sin and temptation? Absolutely not. And in fact, I think the more you walk in righteousness, the more narrow the path becomes and the more temptation and the more fiery arrows get shot at you. So the Messianic movement, if you want to call it that, and by extension, Dothan Messianic Fellowship, is still, to this day, full of fallen human beings, are we not? And we're still very prone to corruption from sin. We approach the task, like the Vidga, or doing life, living from the day we're born to the day we die. We approach the task with flawed or just completely wrong tools sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we go at the Vidgo with the hammer, but it actually needs a Phillips head screwdriver. And we say things like this sometimes in the Messianic movement. And guys, I, I've been doing this just a short while, but I've come across this, you know, it's... it's. I, I remember saying this to Stacey, it's like coming into the Messianic movement, um, I thought, hey, you know, all these denominations, they fight about different things, you know, about like tongues and about predestination and, you know, um, different things that they doctrinally can argue about. It's like, hey, the Torah, it settles all that for us. There's no fighting. There's nothing we have to argue over anymore. It's pretty clear. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. The Torah gives us as humans the potential to fight over even more stuff and divide over even more stuff. How foolish we are sometimes, right? And in our foolishness and in our pride and in our lack of confession and repentance of sin or or strongholds in our life, we say things like the following. Maybe my Torah learning and the subsequent display of my Torah learning will cover up the shame and regret I have from my failed marriage in the past. Or maybe my torah learning and the subsequent display of my torah learning will reverse my critical spirit and my prone prone my my being prone to having a critical tongue or maybe my torah learning will fix my relationship with my grown children that don't want have have anything to do with me or maybe my torah learning will prove finally prove to that pastor how wrong and stupid he was. (laughs) Or maybe my Torah learning will heal and remove wounds that were dealt to me by having an unloving or uh, maybe an absent father. Or maybe my Torah learning will finally calm my spirit of anger or my spirit of pride. Or maybe all this Torah learning stuff, if I can just fill it more in my head, maybe it will finally give me the moral high ground when my spouse or my family discover my hidden and secret sin. Or maybe my Torah learning will get me my 15 minutes of fame. Or maybe all this stuff that I've put in my three-pound brain All this information, maybe it will finally redeem me from this shameful addiction that I have. Well, let me give you a reality check. When we study and learn the Torah for anything other than the Torah's sake and to learning the heart of God more, to getting a broader and clearer glimpse of God's heart, we are going to misuse the Torah and in doing so, profane His holy name. There's a beautiful blessing on page two of this weekly, weekday sedur that we've been using every morning. And it goes like this. I think it does a good job of encapsulating how we should approach the study of God's word. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments, and commanded us to engross ourselves and the study of your word. Please, O Lord our God, sweeten the words of the Torah in our mouth, and in the mouths of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring, and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name, and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, O Lord, who teaches the Torah to his people Israel. If you have a Bible, go to Philippians 3. Because I want to introduce you to a man who had a lot of Torah learning. Now, he's going to go through some qualifications here. And this man is Paul. Rav Shaul, Rabbi Shaul. Right? And this man has turned from zealous... Pharisee, and persecutor of the sect known as The Way. I mean, this man is guilty of murder and executing members of our movement. To now he is a leader, a pillar in the faith. And he says this, It is no trouble for me to repeat, Philippians 3.1, It is no trouble for me to repeat what I have written to you before. And for you, it will be like a safeguard beware of the dogs those evil doers the in the greek it's kata katsitomen the mutilated those who 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 um force force circumcision for it is we who are the circumcised we who worship by the spirit of god and make our boasting in the messiah yeshua we do not put confidence in human qualifications even though i certainly have the grounds for putting confidence in such things if anyone else thinks he has the grounds for putting confidence in human qualifications guess what i've got better grounds you ready for, the, for to hear them his qualifications i was circumcised on the eighth day by birth belonging to the people of israel from the tribe of benjamin i'm a hebrew speaker with hebrew speaking parents in regard to the Torah, I'm a Pharisee. In regard to zeal, a persecutor of the messianic community, of the ecclesia. In regard to the righteousness demanded by the Torah, and legalism, I was blameless. That's pretty hefty pedigree there, isn't it? Are any of you Hebrew speakers with parents that speak Hebrew? Any of you circumcised on the eighth day, belonging to the tribe of Benjamin? Any of you a Pharisee, right? Any of you so zealous? And what does he say about all this? But the things that used to be an advantage to me, I have, because of the Messiah, come to consider them like a disadvantage. Not only that, but I consider everything a disadvantage. And comparing, in comparison, with the supreme value of knowing the Messiah, Yeshua, as my Lord. It was because of Him that I gave up everything and regarded all like garbage in order to gain the Messiah and be found in union with Him. Not having any righteousness of my own based on legalism, but having the righteousness which comes through the Messiah's faithfulness, the righteousness from God that is based on trust, Yes, I gave it all up just to know him. That is, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, to know what it's like to suffer like him as I am being conformed to his death, not to his life, so that somehow I might arrive at being resurrected from the dead. It is not that I have already obtained it or already reached my goal, no. I keep pushing and pursuing it in the hope of taking hold of that for which the Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Brothers, I, for my part, do not think of myself as having yet gotten a hold of it. Think about that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, with that pedigree, with probably most if not all the Torah memorized, in and out of the temple, a student of Gamliel, probably the next in line to be one of the greatest rabbis of the first century. What does he say? I do not think of myself as having yet gotten a hold of it. Whoa. You mean I can put all of this stuff right here in my three-pound brain? I can know the inner workings of the temple every minute of every day? You mean I can know how to read Hebrew even down into the Paleo-Hebrew? I can know all these mysteries and everything, but right here he's saying, If you don't know and are not in fellowship with the suffering of Messiah Yeshua, you haven't even gotten a hold of it. Whoa. That stings. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me, I strain forward toward what lies ahead. I keep pursuing the goal in order to win the prize offered by God's upward calling in Messiah Yeshua. So, I want to urge you guys. I've encountered a lot of people. And I've just been around a lot of people. Like, I, you know, people who walk in our door at DMF. You know, I end, I end up meeting them, okay? And I end up making it a point to going over to them and introducing myself to them. And I know full well that Gabe Rutledge, a fallen, sinful human being, is walking up to another fallen, sinful human being and greeting them. And many times, the words that I hear come out of folks' mouth are things like, I just discovered that everything I learned was wrong. I want you to teach me everything that is right. And I need you to do it in about three hours. (laughs) right or they'll come in and they'll say I've been watching the teachings of so and so and they just blew my mind and I'm here because I want to continue to have my mind blown (laughs) I want you to teach me all the things that you guys do and do it really quickly because for some reason this is like a rush this is a race and there's I got to do this very quickly And I, I usually look at this person in the eyes. And I'm usually a pretty good discerner of character and a good discerner of people's hearts sometimes. And I think it's maybe a gift that he's given me to discern people. And sometimes I look past this desire for their minds to be blown with information. Or I look past this desire to want to... Uh, kind of get the upper hand on the pastor and the shepherd that they just turned their back on and left from a prior church. I look past that sometimes and I look deep into their eyes and sometimes I see this stuff called pain. And sometimes I see this stuff called like rejection or sometimes I see this stuff called dysfunction. And I think to myself, you know, just kind of, just without verbalizing, I think to myself, I don't want to teach you the Torah. I don't want to teach you the Hebrew language. I don't want to teach you about the kosher diet. I want to teach you what it's like to feel the embrace of Messiah Yeshua. I want to teach you that you don't have to carry that around with you. That you can forgive people who have caused you pain. That, that I want to teach you what it's like to suffer as Messiah did. Because before I put all these things on you and fill your brain with information, let's, let's fix the glitch in the software that is a deep-seated wound in your life. Because if we don't address that, and draw that out. And if you don't find healing at the cross of Yeshua for that, this is not going to earn you anything. This is going to do a lot more destruction. And you're going to weaponize the Torah. And you're going to seek some kind of like healing and, and, and self-righteousness through the Torah. As a way of distracting you from that hidden sin or that addiction or that pride or that 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 pain and that hurt that that has been dealt to you in your life. And that I don't know if you guys are there, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. It's like let's sit down and have lunch together. Tell me your story. You know? And and that's kind of where that's that's where I've gotten to over the years. And we say this weirdly really, really peculiar phrase sometimes in the messianic world and sometimes I've gone to conferences, you know, and And you walk up to people and they're really excited to meet you and they they say this phrase, when did you come to Torah? You know what I say? I came to Yeshua at the age of nine. As if the Torah is some like higher valued thing than the blood of Messiah and knowing him as Paul says being in fellowship with his suffering. As if like coming to Torah is like leveling up somehow from Messiah Yeshua. (laughs) Paul says that leveling up is being in union with the Messiah and being conformed unto his death. That's what Paul says is leveling up. So I'm always a little bit weary about using this term coming to Torah. Um, because I think Yeshua is the be-all and end-all of our faith. Now, I don't get me wrong, the Torah is good and it's beneficial. As Paul says, God forbid that he would abolish it. But sometimes I think we leave Yeshua by the wayside and think that the Torah is this higher level of living or something like that. And I've seen too many people turn their back on Yeshua for good to believe that that phrase is not a dangerous phrase. <laughs> So before you come, and before I download Torah information into your brain, or before you, visitor to Dothan Messianic Fellowship, binge watch 13 hours of teachings by some guy on the internet, allow Yeshua to heal you of that anger. Allow Yeshua to heal you of that shame or that guilt that you've been carrying around all your life. Allow Yeshua to cure you of your addiction. Allow Him to crush your pride. Allow Him to heal that rejection that you've been carrying around. Or maybe heal you of that chronic mistrust or suspicion towards leaders in a religious context. Allow Yeshua To heal you of having had a bad father. Allow Yeshua to heal you of having had an alcoholic and abusive mother. Allow Yeshua to heal the pain or the trauma caused by the death of a loved one. And then, let's talk Torah. Right? Go with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Second Corinthians five seventeen. You you should know this probably by heart. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a yeah, it's kahinos in the Greek, new. And and a creation is a kis, uh, kis, kisis And that is the idea of being created from nothing. So in other words, he's not taking like the old thing and like refurbishing it like an iPhone. He's taking something and completely wiping it away and saying, I'm taking you from scratch and I'm gonna recreate you from scratch. All right? If anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. The archai, or where we get the word archeology, span the old stuff that has passed away. In the word there for passed away is parathen. It means to be rendered void. So if you are in Messiah, you are being created completely new, not refurbished, completely new. And the old ark, the old you, is being made and rendered void. And that's my prayer for some of these folks who are like, teach me everything you know. I wanna be like, first of all, have you been made a new creation? Right? Has the old passed away? Have you forgiven? Have you apologized? Have you let go of those things that kept you in bondage all these years? In Luke chapter four, In verse 18, Yeshua quotes from Psalm Isaiah 61. And you know this. He he went into the synagogue and he's quoting Isaiah 61 as he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And you can go to either one. You can go to Luke 4.18 or you can go to Isaiah 61. But this is what our master and our savior is deciding to read on the Shabbat in his hometown of Nazareth from the scroll. And he's, he's like kind of giving his mission statement here. And he says the following, the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God is upon me because Adonai has made me like Mashiach. He has anointed me to announce the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal or bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives. Now, the word, therefore, to to bind up is the word chabash. Can you guys say chabash? You probably have heard this word before because you say, hey, put the kabash on it. <laughs> you ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, to put the kabash on it. It, so he's not healing. The, the typical word for heal is Rafa. He's using the word kabash, which is like to obliterate. To put the kabash on. And what is he putting the kabash on? The shabar. The pieces. Yeah, shabar. The pieces of our broken heart. So we could render this verse to read right here. He who has sent me, He sent me to regather and bind up those whose hearts are in pieces and to declare liberty to the captives. And that word for liberty, it's the idea of running freely. Now, have you guys ever been to a school and it's recess time? I've seen this time and time again. Yeah. And the teacher opens the door or the gate to the playground. And what do kids do? Do you think they walk calmly? what do they do? They bolt, right? They run freely. I love watching my sons run. I don't know why, especially Eli. Eli is such a good runner, and when he runs, it is like, it just looks like just freedom, because he just has so much energy, and he's just like, it doesn't even phase him, you know, and he just loves it. But that's the idea of liberty. It's just running, you know, and feeling free. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I've come to do that. Guys, you've been so weighed down by the oppressiveness of other human beings and the injustices that have been dealt to you from other human beings. I'm here to bind that up and to tell you, let go of that. You don't need to carry that. I've taken it from you. Why are you still holding on to that unforgiveness and that rejection and that shame or that guilt? Learning more about the Torah is not going to heal that. But laying that at my feet will. And I I, like Ariana taught Stacy something who taught me something. And that is whenever there's like this dilemma or this problem or like this, someone is like doing you an injustice. You visualize Yeshua on the cross and, and you're standing before him and you ask him these words. Can you would you be able to handle this? Would you be able to take this? And you picture that. Someone someone doing you wrong in some way or somehow. Trampling on your 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 kindness or someone abusing you as a child. You look at Yeshua hanging on a cross. As he's about to say the words, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." And you say to him, can you take this? Would you be able to handle this? Because I can't. And that's what I think we need to do is to allow him to bind up our broken hearts before we dig into all this stuff and really kind of just pile it in our brains. I'm not saying that's bad, but I think we need to get it in the correct order. I'm going I'm to submit to you guys that we cannot pursue the heart of God. Remember that Genesis through Deuteronomy? We cannot pursue the heart of God unless we first allowed our hearts to be bound up. That's kind of the thrust of my message today. If you have not allowed your heart to be bound up, stop pursuing the deep mysteries of the menorah and the second return and the blood moons, and the Shemitah, and the mysteries, and all this stuff, go before God on your face. Lay down prostrate on the ground, and beg Him to bind up your heart, and hand over to Yeshua the pain, and the suffering, and the rejection, all that that you've been carrying around. Let Him take that, because He wants to take that from you. I wanna leave you with some practical tools. Now, I was really inspired by Julia's courage of writing letters to people that hurt her, or maybe people that she unintentionally hurt, or maybe intentionally hurt, but what an inspiration. If there's someone in your past, guys, who has caused you an injustice, or you're still feeling like, man, I really need to get back at them somehow. Or if only they could see this, this post of me doing this on Instagram and somehow feel like a little bit jealous. Ah, stop. That's the person. Right there. That feeling. It's time to write them a letter. There's something in your past between the two of you as human beings that you're carrying around with you that is preventing you from being conformed unto Messiah's death. Get it out of the closet, right? Write them a letter, whatever that thing is. It could be an old friend. It could be an ex, right? If there's that person in your mind that you're like, man, they really, really hurt me in the past. And when I think about it, I could get angry all over again. That's the person. Yeshua's got that for you but you could still write them a letter. You could pick up the phone and call them and have lunch with them and tell them, hey, you might not even remember this, but 10 years ago, you said something to me and it really deeply hurt me. And I've been carrying that with me for a long time and I'm exhausted. Or 10 years ago, I said something to you and I think I really hurt you. And I've been carrying that guilt around with me for a long time. Would you please forgive me? Let's say this person is deceased or you have no idea how to contact this person. Do you know that you can talk to a brother or a sister in the faith about those things? And you can share openly with them and have a moment of vulnerability with that person. And say, you know what, when I was a child, I was dealt a great injustice and I've been carrying that around with me all my life. Would would you just let me talk with you about it and would you pray with me about that? Knowing that that person is not gonna like condemn you for that or speak like shame or go around and, and get the gossip mill rolling on that. Someone you trust and finding healing and restoration in that. And then lastly, just remember, even if you can't do any of those things, even if you can't write that letter, even if you can't do that face-to-face thing, Yeshua's got it. He's covered it with his blood. You can let it go. You can hand it over to him. Right? So that's my heart for you today. It's kind of, I guess, my... Ha'azinu speech for you. I don't want to go into another Torah cycle without, first of all, dealing with the heart, the brokenheartedness. I don't want to heap up more information on in your three-pound brains. Some of you three-and-a-half, four-pound brains. <laughs> Until he's healed you of that pride. Until he's taken from you that critical spirit and that tendency to gossip about people. I don't want to keep giving you more and more information. I want, to, I want you to be conformed to the death of Messiah Yeshua. And the longer I do this, and the more I interact with people in this context, and lead people in faith or whatever, the more I realize just how broken we are. And how much in need of a savior we have like and you know what I, I have spoken with some of the most learned people, the most well-studied people and it never fails that, hey, wow, they are not immune to sin. <laughs> and somehow I'm always surprised by that. Wow, you know they could, they could have an affair <laughs> Wow. They had so much information in their brains. Maybe we just come to the rational conclusion that information doesn't save us or give us the practical skills to overcome temptation or to heal us of past wounds. Maybe we come to the practical conclusion that Yeshua's blood and Yeshua's grace does. Now, I want and I love to teach the Torah. And there's a special blessing of people who do teach the Torah. Because Yeshua says, great will they be in the kingdom of heaven. But like Paul said, more than that, I want you to be in union with Messiah's death. And in union with his sufferings. Because I think that's where it's at. I want to close in prayer. And um, I want to give a moment. I did this a few years ago. But if you have something to share that's kind of pertaining to the Torah portion. Or kind of pertaining to the message I just shared. Um, I want to give you the platform to do that, and we're gonna we're gonna play one more song to close us out here. But um, I've done this in the past. Just hey, if you want to share it like a great memory, or maybe uh, a blessing that you've had this week during Sukkot, and I'll I'll kick it off. How about that? To kind of show you what I'm looking for. Um, I was really blessed by the the kids sitting around and playing worship this morning, <laughs> and uh, oh, I was getting like choked up, and Stacy was. And you have no idea why. It's because when we decided to move here to Dothan, Alabama, like I've said this before, my kids said, who will we be friends with? And I said to them, I guess we'll just have to pray that the Lord gives you friends, that he brings kids. There was zero kids in DMF. And to see those kids sitting in a circle who just two or three years ago had none of those skills that they were using no one played the guitar. No one played the ukulele. And it was beautiful to hear them lifting their voices. And you guys, I mean, the voices with which you were singing were 10 times more beautiful than anything I could ever attempt. Because it was coming from a place of pure heart and, and sincerity. And and Karen said a very, very profound thing. She said, she's like, I can just picture... A multitude, a myriad of angels singing over them right now. And that was such a beautiful uh, time. Thank you guys for doing that. But does anyone else have anything to share while I get my guitar on? Absolutely.